first off on equities, we want to reiterate what we announced earlier this week, that uh, LPL Financial is moving its equity allocation from overweight to market weight. And I want to emphasize that we're talking about a handful of percentage points out of equities, and we'll redistribute those really between emerging market equities and find a balance between high yield and investment grade bonds. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Ryan, hello. Hey, John. Good morning. How's it going today? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I mean, you look at the calendar, John, it is the last week of March. I mean, 2019 is flying through, and that's that's obviously a good segue for some little bit of basketball talk, I guess. How's Villanova doing? Not well, unfortunately. <laughs> Took it on the chin to yep. a very solid big, big 10 team in the round of 32, but having won two of the past three... I can take solace in that, but they, uh, yeah, they did struggle. Exactly. As most people know, if you listen to this, I'm a Xavier guy, and Xavier did actually last a little bit longer than Villanova, but they lost the NIT yesterday a few hours after Villanova. So nonetheless, we are done. And um, you know what NIT stands for, don't you? Uh, just no. Let me know. Not in the tournament. Yeah, I figured it was going there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Four starters back next year. We'll try to get next well, year. Well, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, it's just it's, it's just a great, great time of year. You know, you see these kids hitting last second shots and uh, the the UCF Duke game oh my goodness. was unbelievable. I think that was 70 miles away from us. I kept looking at my boys saying, boys, I can't believe we're not there. I can't believe we're not they there. Taco Fall and everybody, right? that was yeah. awesome. Taco Fall I guess it, depending how you look at it, it was awesome. But it was an all-around good game if you didn't have a horse in that right. race. So. But one, once again, uh, you did not listen in to hear sports talk radio. <laughs> we always digress. Uh, what we'd That's like right. to cover in today's podcast uh, aptly named Market Signals is that the market has been sending us some signals the past couple of weeks, and we wanted to highlight what we see going on in the equity market and the bond market. So the, the market signals is clearly the item to discuss today, first on the equity and then on, on the bond market. And, and, and first off on equities, we want to reiterate what we announced earlier this week, that uh, LPL Financial is moving its equity allocation from overweight to market weight. And I want to emphasize that we're talking about a handful of percentage points out of equities, and we'll redistribute those really between emerging market equities and find a balance between high yield and investment grade bonds. Ryan, what are we up? 20, 25% from the December 24th low, correct? Exactly. Yeah, we were up over 20, 22% maybe approximately. Pulled back after Friday's big pullback, but year to date up over double digits as we saw one of the best starts of the year since either 91 or 87, kind of the depending how you want to look at it. So, you know, history does say when you have a big move off of lows, you can get some continuation. But, boy, the near term, John, we sure are stretched, historically stretched. Yeah, so we, we, we rallied north of 20%, up about, you know, I guess, last Thursday, the S&P eclipsed 2850, 2850, and 2815, 2815 was the big hurdle everyone was worried about. And then uh, got through that. And Thursday's trading was just kind of weird. You know, the research team had been talking about this for a little over a week. And then with the Fed announcement, it was more buy the rumor, sell the news, right? But Thursday's trading, I just thought I was so uncomfortable. I mean, there was a giddiness to trading, just a, money's free again, let's buy equities. And that's when the team finally made the decision at, when we closed Thursday at 20, above 28.50. Right. And you know, just to do a quick recap, I guess, of the Fed decision, really nothing caught us by surprise there. They said there's going to be no rate hike the rest of this year. Uh, but there's 17 people that get to vote for the Fed dot plots. Out of those 17 members, not one is looking for a rate cut this year as of the recent dot plots. But if you look at the Fed funds futures, 
what the market thinks is a 40% chance for a rate cut this year. So, yeah, who's right, who's not? But it's just kind of interesting right there. But bottom lines of Fed said they're on pause, and markets definitely bounced back big time on Thursday, and then we had Friday. Right, right. So big sell-off on Friday. But when talking about equities, we always, uh, at LPL Research, we always like to talk about technicals, fundamentals, and valuations. From a technical standpoint, as we mentioned, north of a 20% rally off the market lows in December, we're up 14% year-to-date or so through last Thursday's close of 2850. But we didn't see everything technically that gave us comfort. For example, semis were doing real, semiconductors were doing really well. Transports were not. While the S&P 500 was able to eclipse its 200-day moving average, an index of small cap stocks, whether you look at the S&P 600 or the Russell 2000, uh, they failed to eclipse their early February lows. They also failed to eclipse their 200-day moving average. So it was really a double doink for those two indices, right, not being able to move move faster. Then you see copper supporting it, but as I said earlier, transports didn't. What do you see in advanced decline line still looks pretty good though. It sure does, John. The NYSE advanced decline line recently was just is still flirting with new all time highs, which is a definitely more positive, bigger picture, longer term opinion. I kinda said this year looks a little bit like twenty sixteen where in April twenty sixteen we had the breakout of the NYSE advanced decline line, the new highs, and stocks eventually followed suit in July. What happened in the middle of that? You had the Brexit sell-off, and you had some volatility. So just because advanced decline lines are breaking out doesn't mean stocks are going to follow right away. It can be a signal that, you know, second half of the year we can get to new highs. But for the meantime, like you said, the risks are definitely adding up um, in the near term here. Absolutely. So we do want to emphasize also that we are talking about a potential for consolidation. We are not looking for a test of the December lows. Uh, Consolidation, you know, December lows... It was really a unique combination in our estimation of miscommunication, misunderstanding uh, of the Fed's message in December, but also it was the worst month for hedge fund redemptions or the Mm -hmm. highest month of hedge fund redemptions in the past 10 or 12 years. And those lever trades kind of magnified losses. And and we just think looking at the S&P 50-day moving average as well as the 200-day moving average, we see pretty good support. 2725 to 2750 range and thereafter call it that former support which had been resistance right the 2600 to 2625 range and that was the big thing john we talked about earlier this year will there be a retest will there be the w formation we go back down and form a w pattern and test the um december 24th lows and we were in the camp we didn't really think so we saw some extremely strong breath off those lows that suggested maybe we won't go all the way back down and retest unfortunately um, that that's exactly been the case, but still, near term things are adding up. Now, John, this week's weekly market commentary, like we said, which will be released by the time people get to listen to this podcast, we kind of had three big themes that we mentioned that were concerning: economic soft patch, stalling capital investment, and then slower earnings growth. You know, those three things by themselves are kind of the big umbrella under why we made this change. Out of those three, is there well, maybe well, you want to pick on one? Or yeah, well, we kind of we covered we dug, covered dug the technicals there. already. Mm-hmm. Yes. So from a fundamental standpoint, I think we can we could really break it down. You know, economic soft patch. There's mm-hmm. concern about slowing global growth, right? We're not being dismissive of that, but we have never seen a period in history where the globe led the U.S. into recession. Right. The U.S. always leads the globe into recession. So we do see some slowdown, um, but we also see massive policy intervention and support 
in Japan and in Europe. But looking at fundamentals, we're looking for a mild first quarter, right? Maybe 1% GDP growth. Right. You know, that's going to be a significant downturn from what you experienced uh, at a call it a 3% pace last year. I do want to emphasize, though, that this will be the 10th disappointing first quarter of the 10-year mm -hmm. cycle, right? For whatever exactly. reason, seasonality. Uh, now, this time could be magnified by the government shutdown. We always see poor GDP in the first quarter. Yeah, it's almost like we didn't realize the weather was going to be poor early in the year, and every year it surprises people. But again, pick a reason why the bottom line is the first quarter has definitely been the weakest out of the four, and then the second half of the year you do see a little bit more of an acceleration in the economy. And hey, I think there's a good chance that happens one more time here. And a lot of that is also our forecast for the past nine months or so uh, has been contingent on you know economic baton, if you will, being passed from the U.S. consumer to business investment. And the right. first half of last year, we saw business investment grow at about a 10% pace, and then it ground to a halt in the second half of the year as the trade dispute with China dragged on. So to the degree we get some clarity on a path toward progress, uh, with the trade dispute with China, that gets businesses re-energized because they already have immediate expensing, they have reduced regulation, they have lower taxes, they have repatriated $750 billion or so over the past 12 months in, in overseas profits. So even if it's a third, a third, a third for dividends, buybacks, and then capital investment, uh, we think that the economy can gain traction again in the second and third quarter. But when you just factor in the fundamentals in the near term, we think those fundamentals. Again, looking at technicals, fundamentals, and valuation, we just think some of these fundamentals would support that what we expect to be consolidation in the next handful of weeks. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. So, John, you know, to kind of summarize it all, this week's weekly market commentary, again, just describes exactly what we just discussed with the overall equity allocation. Just bring it down just a little, just a hair here. You want to move over to bonds now? Let's cover up the uh, the valuation aspect okay. also because I think that's really important before we move to the economic and bond commentary. But from a valuation standpoint, you know, when we issued our year-end fair value estimate for the S&P 500, that was probably November 1st or so yeah, when we, we, when we first wrote those numbers. Halloween. Right. Yeah. So thinking about, I guess the S&P was about 2750 Operating earnings for the S&P 500, the consensus forecast was $177.50. We thought about that number. We thought that was too much of a reach. And when we did our analysis with the different analysts on our team, we came up with a number $5 less than consensus. And our number was 172.50 in operating earnings for the index in 2019. Looking at a low inflation environment, there are a lot of ways to value the market. We think that on a trailing 12-month basis, a 17 to a 17.5 PE, on that $172.50 was a good number that could get us on or around the 3,000 level. Uh, over the past two months, though, Wall Street analysts have slashed estimates by about $10. So now we are a premium to the consensus estimate, and that's something we're mindful of. We are not cutting estimates yet. We think that uh, it's too soon to do so and wouldn't be prudent. Want to hear what happens with first quarter earnings. Want to see what second quarter visibility is. If we have to tweak, maybe in the mid-year outlook we go to $170, but still a 17 PE on 170 is what, 2950. So it's still 3000 3, ish So directionally we still, from a valuation standpoint, want our investors and our listeners to understand and appreciate that 
directionally, we still see the fundamentals supporting it. Near term, we see consolidation. Exactly. I love looking at market sentiment, John. And one thing that caught my eye was when you look at those analyst cuts that we saw in the, f- the first half of this year or early this year, it was the largest cuts analysts had made the S&P 500 earnings since the first quarter of 2016, the last time we really had a big correction and a big scare similar to what we just saw. And then the economy definitely picked up, and the earnings estimates were once again too low. When you talk about earnings estimates, you know, 172.50 is 6%. And we again, we still feel that's the case. Most analysts now are around 3% earnings growth, and they were up over double digits. You think about early this year when everyone else was cutting their estimates, you know, as we laid out in this podcast, we simply didn't see a recession on the horizon, and we did hang tough with our earnings estimates. And we, as of this second, we're not cutting them still. So, you know, we, we didn't kind of panic in that midst, and we said this is not a recession, and stocks could bounce back and could be led by earnings as people once again panicked. But we avoid the asteroid once again. Absolutely. You want to make the math work as an analyst, you know. Uh, and, uh, again, 17 multiple on 170. Uh, close enough for government work, close enough for our, uh, certainly for our investors, not to be dismissive with a comment like that. But really think right. about, you know, whether you're calculated on cash flow, sales per share, adding sales per share back into the sales per share calculation, you know, you multiply that by the margin estimate, come up with a, you know, top-down approach to earnings. And we still think margins can be in the 10% range, which is shocking to say 10 years into a cycle. I mean, even if they slip to 9%, you know, they're still... 50% 50% above their long-term averages. So it's still, it's quite an experience. So from a valuation standpoint, uh, we want the math to work. We are pulling back from overweight where we've been for my two years at LPL. Yes, uh, my three. Within the equity market. And just, you know, it's growth with income or our balanced accounts will still have 60% equity. So I want to make sure uh, people still feel good about that. So yes, Let's go to the bond market because the bond market is also sending signals in addition to the equity market. No, it sure is, John. So obviously we kind of hinted at Friday's big sell-off, S&P down almost 2%. And kind of what caught everyone's attention was the three-month versus the 10-year yield curve inverted. We also had the German Bund go to beneath zero, um, 0%. So global yields, and this is across the, the whole globe, they continue to drop, big drop on Friday. Our yield curve, again, we can get we can probably talk a half hour on yield curves. There's various yield curves, but the three-month, 10-year did invert on Friday. I believe the one-year, 10-year did as well. So that caught investors in the media's attention, John. The bond market, the smartest guys in the room. What's the bond market know that the stocks don't know? Oh, my. How do you even want to tackle uh, well, the yield off, curve? First off, the media. I think the media was looking for any curve to invert well, so yeah. they could report on it, right? Good so, point. So uh, mm-hmm. 90 days and 10 years is one to pay, pay attention to. The one we pay mm-hmm. most attention to is twos and tens, and not to split hairs, but we're about 10 mm-hmm. basis points now. Tens, uh, right. 30s have actually widened over the past week, exactly. right? So I think that's something to keep in mind for about longer-term growth prospects for the economy. But also recognize why the curve, what is the message from the curve? And this is a real debate right now, not only that we're having on our research team at LPL Financial, but also I think every investment policy committee out there, every investment team out there is trying to divine, is the yield curve flattening pointing toward recession or is the yield curve flattening pointing toward extreme valuation dynamic between the U.S. 10-year, for example, and the Bund or the JGB, the Japanese government bond. You know, I always like to think about bonds as stocks. And if you want to look at, you know, the to make the math easier, just say the Bund and the JGB are one basis point and the 10-year is at 250. 2.5% is a percentage point, right? So what is, what is percent? It's division. Take the inverse of that and pretend there's a PE on that bond. If you're yielding 2.5%, 
you're willing to pay 40 times to earn that 2.5%, assuming 100 par, right? If you're using that same analogy, global investors have the opportunity to buy the the Bund or the JGB at a PE of 1,000 if it's yielding only one basis point. So it's a screaming buy when you think about Mm. the U.S. Treasury 10-year can be considered a screaming buy relative to for global investors relative to what other leading sovereigns are offering. But it's not that simple. You have to factor in currency hedging costs. And when you look at currency hedging costs, it's a bad trade for global investors. But nonetheless, global investors are piling into the biggest, baddest bond market in the world, the most liquid, the highest rated, and that's altering the dynamic. No, that's a great point, John. I might swipe that in the presentation. I like that, the way you described that, using PEs. But, you know, so there's a yield curve in the U.S. Nine of the last nine recessions, we did see an inverted yield curve approximately 14 months or so if you look at the one-year, 10-year spread. Now, the 210 is different. We've looked at that before, and it's a little bit longer. I think it's 19 months after that inverts. But nonetheless, there are other yield curves out there. You look at Japan. They've had inverted yield curves for a long time, and it didn't do anything. They did not have recession. You look at the inverted yield curves in the U.K. and Germany historically, once again, very poor predictors for recessions there. So it's really unique. I don't want to say this time is different because, believe me, this shows we're late in the cycle, and we absolutely are concerned with it. But, again, to just blindly sell because one of the, the lower end or the belly of the curve, in, in essence, has inverted – like you said, the long end of the curve, the 10-year, 30-year, continues to steepen. You look at the mid-90s, John, and I'll hand it over to you for a second. The mid-90s, we saw the belly of the curve invert in 90, almost invert in 94, invert in 98. But what happened with the longer end of the curve? It didn't invert. And those are times that we kind of had false signals, if you will. And then in the mid-60s, we had some false signals on yield curves. So it's not, it's not a perfect indicator. You can have, you know, different curves invert, and as long as the longer end doesn't, I'm not as quite as concerned here. Be mindful. You talk about uh, you know the yield curve and the signal. You know Ryan and I are paid to worry, and we won't, don't want to come across as overly dismissive of the risks out there. But they're, you know, I'm even willing to admit, you know, never no one ever wants to say it's different this time. Mm-hmm, but I've exactly. I've shared it with audiences. Um, it is different when the global central banks quintuple the size of their balance sheets, and all companies are subject to a low and invariable cost of capital. You know, there's a different dynamic out there right now, and that's why Fed mm-hmm. messaging is so important. But just recognize that it's our belief that it's a valuation metric as opposed to a recession metric with that flattening and, and some of the inversions. Uh, recognize also that what we're seeing in Japan and Europe, it's conceivable that we don't see a 1% overnight lending rate in in Europe or Japan for five more years. Right. So there's going to be a valuation dynamic with the U.S. 10-year for, for quite a while now, and we'll have to keep that in mind. But point the point you made, I think, is most important for investors. Of course it was. If Of course. If the 2s, 10s, inverts, we found that it takes anywhere from 18 to 24 months. What is it, a 19 Yeah, the last period? five times. I was going to make sure I said 19 months. I was incorrect. Keep compliance happy. It's 21 months, John. Look at the last five 210 inversions before a recession started. And, and what the, the equity market do? Exactly. The S&P didn't peak for an average of 19 months later. S&P peaked at 22% gains after the 210 inverted. The last three times, 
uh, before the financial crisis, S&P gained 22%. In the late 90s, gained 40%. And then before the 1990 recession, gained 33%. So I don't think we want to be blind and ignore those types of gains even after the 210 inverted, which it right. hasn't yet. But we do guarantee that that won't be a straight line. Okay. So you let us say that? Thing, I, looked at, one I heard thing that dirty word to. guarantee. I saw, and I your, eyebrows. Oh, I saw your eyebrows you, lift. You can say a lot of words. You can't say that one. But yeah. it won't be a straight line in our estimation. And again, looking at the last five cycles, average return over that period is north of 20%. And if you look at the time, you know it's conceivable our, our next recession begins at the end of 20 and early 2021. And what I suspect now, looking at all the fundamentals, I suspect what's going to cause it we can't see it in the fundamentals just yet, but it could conceivably be the mother of all election cycles. Exactly. Right? And that could weigh on sentiment from a business investment standpoint, and it could weigh on inv uh, consumption from a personal spending standpoint. And it's conceivable that a late 2020, early 2021 dynamic, we pull back one quarter of 1% for two consecutive quarters. I, I don't see the fundamentals that would necessitate anything approaching what we experienced a decade ago. Yeah, so John, I think you wanted to finish it like this with some potential positives. We always do, we always sunshine. Do. So I'll, I'll just give a couple of mine and then you can sign us off. The LEI, Leading Economic Index, one of our favorite indicators, um, just made a new all-time high last week. So that's positive. Some of the housing data we've seen, which is more of a leading economic indicator, housing started to turn around. Also, if you look at fact set data, they look at 12-month forward returns on the S&P 500. It definitely low, uh, was lower earlier this year. Starting to bottom out. So believe me, there are some real positive signs, and we're going to continue to talk about those in our weekly commentaries on our blog, lplresearch.com. And I think that'll be, thank you, Ryan, that'll be really important because as we get some of these lagging reports that weigh on sentiment that we suspect will cause this next near-term consolidation, we, we will continue to be emphasizing a lot of the forward-looking data, the leading data, like the leading economic indicators. Consumer you know, confidence consumer and housing. Confidence, those three have all bounced back small nicely. Small business confidence, mm -hmm. business point. investment. Right. You know, those are all the leading indicators. And the best leading indicator is corporate profits. And even though the year-over-year -year print is going to be challenged in the first quarter, recognize that we had record profits last year. We still think that record profit that those record profits can be discounted at interest rates near historic mm -hmm. lows, right. enhancing the present and future value. And if they're growing at what we believe six percent this year, but even if we have to cut it to four percent, mm -hmm. you're looking at a two percent yield, you're looking at a six to eight percent total return type opportunity. So we want to make sure that while this call is for a near term consolidation, we still think this cycle has more room to run. So I think that's a good way to conclude today's call. And I'll sign off, John, by saying I had a lot of fun this week. Look forward to being back next week with everyone. And I want to get it on record. I have UK, University of Kentucky, winning it all. I don't even really like them, but I just went different than a lot of other people, and that's who I have. Who do you have on Cal record, John? Calipari can coach, yes, he and can. he can recruit, mm -hmm. and uh, you know he they, they did a good job. Uh, now that Villanova's out, yes. my wife went to Carolina, so oh. I'm, I'm going to pick the University of North Carolina. Okay. Good point. So Got to we'll go that way. Although you have to be respectful of Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett. Those guys can play. So it'll be a fun few weeks. Everybody enjoy it, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Have a great one, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch.
And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.